Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast. people in this room besides us they do things when you point at them it's exciting <laughs> i feel the power swelling within me uh, we are so glad to be here what we do on this show this is not a review show it's an analysis show we're going to talk a little bit of review stuff here in just a few moments but we have a special opportunity as we're going to be doing uh, a little bit of analysis on the film tempest fugit by director nick sanford who is in the house also the uh, the lead uh adam hampton is here with us and we're very excited to do that but before before we do that, let's just. Uh, I'm going to do introductions, and I want you guys to introduce yourselves as well, so that people listening at home or while they jog or avoid the police or whatever it is they do when they're um, listening to our show, uh, they'll know the voices. So my name is Dustin Sells, and I'm just really glad to be here. My name is Alexander Bohannon, and I am also excited to be here. My name is Dalton Stewart. I thought you guys were going to do longer intros, so I prepared one, and now I'm scrapping it uh, in my. I've done <laughs> 20,000 seances in my 60-year career as a podcaster. It's a true statement. Uh, sir, if you would. You watched. Uh, Nick Sanford. I wrote, produced, and directed the movie. Yes. Please yeah. applaud. This is exciting stuff. Uh, my name is Adam Hampton. I played Bill. Also very exciting. All right, so we're going to open up with some questions. Um, we're going to ask a cu- question or so a piece, kind of go round robin, uh, handling it. That I'm going to ask uh, the first question. I want to ask is is Nick. Um, Actually, no, I want to ask Adam a, a question first. Um, as uh, some of you may know, some of you may not know, uh, the the actress who played uh, Adam's wife is actually your wife, which is um, awesome, and she did a great job, and she's she's beautiful. So congratulations, well done there, sir. Thank you. I'll tell her that. Okay. <laughs> And uh, the question I want to ask you is, what I, what's interesting, you know, then this is a question that's pretty much asked um, often when actors are on a junket and they're talking about uh, just the, the, the dynamic of acting with your spouse as your spouse. And I, I was thinking about how the relationship is so strained throughout the film. And I'm just wondering, you know, as you're doing this, does it get kind of weird when you get back home? And uh, just what was it, what was it like, uh, of course, you know, acting alongside your spouse, but also uh, just, uh, again, d- how, how, does, how does that work out when you have to be, like, pissed off at each other for, you know, what, how long you show, two weeks, and you have to go home and, you know, then be nice? Well, that's, that's a great question. Uh, well, um, you know, as a filmmaker, uh, working on, on my own stuff, Aside from this, uh, we've definitely uh, experienced uh, some some uh, some strain of our own that we were able to bring into the performances. Uh, <laughs> it actually um, this actually helps to be that familiar, whether it's your wife or another actor or actress, to to have a comfort zone, and so that made it really easy and exciting um, to sort of push each other and, and and test the boundaries of the characters in that way. So uh, it was a great time. Outstanding. I actually have a I have a question for Director Sanford over here. I was wondering I I've always kind of been fascinated with this kind of occultism and this mysticism that, you know, is propagated in shows like Supernatural and Charmed, like all those CW shows that we kind of grew up with. Um, but I'd just be interested to hear some of your um, inspirations for the movie, why you chose to pursue this as a subject matter, and um, just tell us a little bit about that background there. Uh, I like I like Ouija boardy things. I think it's 
There's sure. really just one thing, right? <laughs> Ouija in theaters now. Demon witchboards, if you will. <laughs> Demon witchboard kills me. Witch boards are fun to play with my cousins and stuff at Thanksgiving. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that is a thing to laugh at because why would I do that on Thanksgiving? I should do that on Halloween. But um, um, really, the thing with this. Uh, the whole the whole reason I wanted to make this movie is not so much about the spooky supernatural stuff so much as it was just about kind of I hate I'm gonna sound really pretentious but like the exploration of guilt. Yeah, that's our job. Okay, but the uh, kind of the exploration of guilt and how you deal with a death that you might think might be your fault, which is what the main character does. That's kind of always been because I've been working on the story since I was in high school, and that was always sort of the. Uh, that was kind of the grounding thing, and then kind of the Ouija board stuff, you know, all the shining homages and all that. That's just sort of dressing on, kind of, I almost said dressing on the cake. We don't put dressing on cake, but I see on cake. But that's, that's where all the scary stuff came from. It's, it's, it, the, the scary stuff is, is an extension of the, you know, kind of the emotional core, which is kind of what I started. Oh, right on. It definitely does. Adam, what's it like trying to work with somebody who clearly has Asperger's every... I'm kidding. Um, I'm kidding. Nick, um, you and I have been he friends... Uh, a piece of shit. Nick, uh, you and I have been, have been friends for, for quite some time, and I had the... Uh, <laughs> I, I had the, uh, the, the benefit, or as you've often said, the misfortune of seeing the original Tempest Fugit um, in 2007... Let me set this up. This is kind of a remake of a movie we did when we were in high school. It was a bunch of 17-year-olds acting like 30-year-olds, and it was a lot. It was it's a not as good as what you just yeah, saw at all. But my question kind of dovetails with Alex in that, you know, you, you, you tackled this film and wanting to look at guilt and, and sprinkle the spooky stuff on top. But you had made this movie already, and other than having learned things and being a better filmmaker, was there anything in particular about this story that you said, I, I got to go back to the well here, and I, I got to try and do something uh, different while uh, reapproaching the same story? Well, because I've got Asperger's, I've always got to keep going <laughs> until I can finish something and do it right. But, um, no, uh, the reason I wanted to go back, well, we started. Um, Myself and Stephen Patchen, which I don't even know if he's here. Did he leave? I think he left. The producer of the movie. Human garbage. He, um, we was, don't frequently insult our guests on the Good Trash Con genre cast. He, uh, it started off as our capstone project um, for a film school thingy. And originally it was going to be a sci-fi movie that we wanted to shoot. And we thought it was going to be really expensive to do spaceships and explosions and stuff. So let's do something else. And I wrote a, I'm being serious, I wrote a romantic comedy and it was terrible. He <laughs> did. And so, and so we thought, well, what's something that, you know, what's something that we've kind of already got developed that, you know, we could sort of go back to. And we thought, well, Tempest, we've always wanted to give another shot at that. So let's try it again. And that's kind of what. It was kind of a last-minute deal because about two weeks after we decided to do it, we cast Adam, and about a month after that, we were shooting. So it was really just kind of we were looking for something to do, and that was some, that was kind of in our comfort zone. And I know horror fairly well, and that's kind of what made us want to do it. I have a question for Adam. I felt like I've. 
I have a personal interpretation of what occurs at the ending. I'm sure our director also does, but I would be interested as you are the main character of this film and you definitely seem to have a stake, or at least your character has a stake in how it ends. I'd be interested to hear what you feel happens after that cut to black for 30 seconds. Well, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Uh, Well, Nick and I actually kind of thought about it. I know he's, got the story progressed further and he's got a I guess the climax to it and all this sort of stuff but uh and I think we disagree as to what happens because I'm certain uh, the bill grabs up goes up grabs the axe and kills everybody oh she's she's dead as fried she's, chicken she's yeah. gone so I was agreeing <laughs> with that too you're but correct sir the director doesn't know he has no idea what authorial intent okay <laughs> okay, go for it. Go for it. Go for it. <laughs> this is the this is the moment we were waiting for. I was hoping you'd do okay, this. In every other draft I've got of this, because there is a feature. This is a fifty-six minute movie. It was supposed to be about thirty minutes, and then because the script was thirty pages, and then somehow it wound up being this stupid length that you know no one wants to see a fifty-six minute movie. But originally, the the original the original version is. Yes, after he, you know, decides to kill his wife, he goes to kill her, she kills him instead. But as we did this movie, as we did this version, this weird little short-ish, you know, kind of featurette version, it turned into something different. And so over time, I started thinking, well, this is just its own little thing. What I necessarily thought was going to happen four years ago doesn't exactly apply now. That being said, she still kills him. (laughs) (laughs) Incorrect, sir, but thank you very much. But I'm also the author, and authors in Tim be damned. I'm a believer in that, but it doesn't matter anymore what I think. There, there's something uh, about Tempest I find really striking, Nick, and, and that's the, the really warm uh, lighting throughout it. I mean, it's just, it's really great, but it, it's almost so warm that, that it kind of defies convention, uh, and, then, and that you don't expect that kind of homey feeling uh, in the lighting of a horror film. And, uh, I was wondering, it was, uh, Sam Calvin was your, your DP on this, right? He was the DP. Uh, was that a conversation you guys had? Was that a, a choice for you and you kind of directed him that way? I mean, uh, No, we started very, very, very early talking about how we wanted the thing to look. And we didn't cut. Co- I color corrected three shots of this movie, and they were all outside just to kind of you know adjust the exposure and get it to all match because we were outside and we were chasing light and the sun was coming in and out of clouds and stuff like that. But with the look, we said we wanted it to look 70s, and we wanted it to look like The Shining or The Exorcist, kind of visually was sort of my big thing, at least light and color-wise, not exactly framing and kind of camera movement and all that, but colors, I really wanted The Exorcist, which is a very warm movie. All those films from the 70s are very, very warm, like The Godfather and all that. And so he didn't use any lights that they wouldn't have had around in the 70s. He only used, you know, these really old light kits. Uh, he cranked the temperature up on like in camera so all that was in camera none of it was messed with with the computer and all that and uh, the reason we wanted it to feel homey was because we shot it at my I was going to say my house it's my mom's house and I live with my mom I don't care we shot it. <laughs> there you go we, shot we it. like honesty pursue an exciting <laughs> career in filmmaking you too can live with your mother you can be 25 and make a really expensive movie for you and whore it around for two years but um 
But, you know, her house is very, you guys mentioned the wallpaper, how much you love the wallpaper and stuff. <laughs> you know, that was that was part of it. And, you know, it kind of, it's, it's sort of naturally the sort of goldy, ready type of inside of the house anyway. And that was, I mean, that kind of helped too, was actual the, the production design because all the colors are really, really warm. And the clothes I had them wear, you know, were kind of, well, I mean, he wears blue, so never mind, that doesn't make sense. But um, I tried to sound smart. I got found out. But... Um, but yeah, that was that was a big part of it was just to kind of give it. I mean, for one, to make you feel comfortable inside the house, you know, once the movie starts. So then as it progresses, you know, you feel the comfort turning in on you, and also to emulate films of the past, like the seventies and all that. So that's that's why we did that. I'm glad you guys mentioned to him before the show the wallpaper thing. Um, so we're in the middle of a, of a horror marathon right now for for our show, and, and we don't do horror films throughout the year because if you spent the whole year doing films, people don't do critical analysis of you could just do horror movies so we we try to focus that around halloween and we have noticed eight movies now wallpaper everywhere and it's so bad and good at the same time like really just like off-putting wallpaper so when we started tempest up i was like hey, i know she is i'm getting there hold on your mother's it a- is the least <laughs> offensive she, wallpaper she's a we beautiful woman she's so, so nice she paid me to watch her house more than once um <laughs> But it, it's so funny. I mean, we've watched all of these films and a lot of older films, and just the, the fact that wallpaper keeps coming up even now is is, is really just delightful beyond measure. That's excellent. Okay, well, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna move in with a I'm gonna do a two part. I'm gonna cheat a little bit before we transition. And I have a question for Nick and a question for Adam. And I'm gonna ask him in that order. Nick, uh, we talked um, way way back uh, when this movie was still in production. We did an interview um, on the show. That's episode 17. If you want to look back in the archives, Listen and how stupid I sounded two years ago. It's not very dissimilar from right now. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> Love you, boo. Um, but uh, we, you talked a lot when we, we discussed this. We talked about this sort of like being the evil Amblin universe of, uh, of uh, Steven Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment, um, his production house. And... As I was watching it again, you mentioned The Shining earlier, and of course in that interview you mentioned a handful of movies that you had people watch uh, while you're preparing it. But I, I really, the more I've looked at Tempest Fugit, the more it makes me think about The Shining uh, specifically, but it makes me think about Kubrick almost in a more general way. I do see um, some lighting choices, uh, especially some of the interiors that remind me a lot of Eyes Wide Shut and uh, some, of the, some of these other films. So I, just, I wonder if you could just talk for a moment about Kubrick and uh, you know, how much or how little influence that has in you overall as a filmmaker and then in Tempest specifically. Uh, Kubrick, I mean, if you're not influenced by him, then you're probably not doing it right. He's, you know, I mean, he's just kind of, everyone is influenced by Kubrick now. It's kind of a cliche at this point. But actually, I was, uh, earlier today, I watched, in the UK, they're doing a re-release of 2001, and they had a re-release trailer for it. And I don't know if it's on film or not, but, um, doesn't matter, I'm not going to go there to be able to see it. But, um, uh, I was watching the trailer, and there were like five points where I'm like, oh, crap, we were, I ripped off 2001 a lot. And the more I've been thinking about it, the more I, you know, after I saw that, I went through and I watched some scenes from a lot of his movies, because I got a lot of them on my computer, illegally. And <laughs> I hate pirates. I bought them off my iTunes, $9.99 a piece. But, um, but I was looking through a lot of them, and yeah, Kubrick, because uh, at first, the, the original intent on doing this movie was, I'm going to take an Amblin type movie like Back to the Future or 
Jaws or Arachnophobia, you know, kind of the Spielberg sense of suburbia, and I'm going to see what that would look like in The Exorcist, and as we went along, that kind of didn't happen and turned into this weird sort of arty movie that it is today. But, uh, yeah, the Kubrick thing, I actually specifically remember the last, you know, that sequence where he's talking to the Ouija board at the end with, with the closet, and it's kind of cutting to a whole bunch of weird, you know, like with the girl in the hallway and then his wife, and there's just all these weird images kind of hitting you. Uh, I got that specifically from the, um, uh, the Stargate sequence at the end of 2001 when he's going yes. through the, you know, from Jupiter to wherever he goes. That's kind of, that was sort of the biggest uh, overall Kubrick influence. Excellent, excellent, very much. I always just want to compliment a moment in the movie where there's um, an out-of-focus shot of Adam moving his way down a hallway, and uh, it is super off-putting and eerie and weird, and I just wish Hollywood would make lots more hallway walks with your camera work. So, well done, sir. I got that from Skyfall, the opening shot of Skyfall. <laughs> <laughs> so they do do that, and those movies make about $300 million a piece. Hey. But I appreciate it. Good folks borrow an artist steal. That's all I'm saying, man. So, so just uh, John, that's Picasso. I stole it from him. Uh, <laughs> crushing it, <laughs> um, Adam. Uh, I want to ask this last question of you. Um, we uh, had a conversation again. You know, this interview, and we talked about you. So uh, I've been talking about you now for two years, having not met you. So um, I hope that's not strange. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, Nick, you know, mentioned that you're a filmmaker in your own right, and you've um, done some other work, and um, and then uh, Nick, using his sense of humor, he said wonderful things about you at first, and then he had to take them away by telling me how much he hates you yeah. uh, in, in the course of it because that's just the way he handles it. So here's your opportunity to uh, – just, I'm just curious, you know, what sort of Napoleonic tyrant is Nick <laughs> on the set? What's it like working with Nick? Again, because we've got an advert for people wanting to maybe find you through the podcast, and here's your chance to do the same thing to Nick. Right. Uh, he's, uh, he's a monster. He's absolutely – no, he's great. Uh, honestly, I can't say a bad thing about him. Um, Nick, uh, and I wish Patchen was here. Uh, did he really leave? That's absolutely amazing. <laughs> that's, that's phenomenal. That's Aww. phenomenal. We actually, we started shooting it two years ago to this day. Oh, wow. All, so Happy anniversary. <laughs> He's Aww. done. He's done. It's over. Uh, no, Nick, Nick's, uh, Nick's amazing on the set and he offers a lot of freedom and a lot of experimentation, which I think is awesome. I mean, uh, and it kept it alive. Obviously, there's a lot of uh, you know, there's there's a lot of nods to other films and and sort of homages to to classic horror films for us that we were aware of. But we always wanted to make it our own, so we were aware of those. But then we tried to not fall into that trap of of just becoming repetitive. And Nick was great about that. And uh, I mean, I think he got. Um, I'm very proud of it. I think that he got some really strong performances. Ethan Hounslow's here. He did an yes, amazing Yes, round of applause, job. please. And the ki- and the kid had, I mean, he had one scene, one scene where he's talking, and so I mean, for 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 him to be able to do that, and then for Nick to be able to get that sort of build a, a I mean, a, a really warm relationship out of one scene with just a little bit of dialogue, I think, um, I mean, it was an adventure. It was a, it was just a hell of a lot of fun. He did a great job. Absolutely. Well, you guys both did a great job. Thank you, Ethan, yes. for being here. Yeah, pre- sorry you. about not knowing your name earlier. <laughs> and uh, we'll give him a hand one more time. Um, Please. Studio audience. Now's the part where we're going to do the review thing, and we're going to talk about how much we hate your movie. So this ought to be uh, loads and loads and loads of fun. Um, <laughs> it's real hip hop. <laughs> 
And so we're going to do a little combination of our review slash analysis, and we say this every time we, re- we record, say this ain't a review show, it's an analysis show, but we always kind of begin with a moment of that. So, Ms. Alexander Bohannon, if you don't mind, why don't you go ahead and take us out? Well, um, those who have not listened to the Good Trash Genre cast before, um, what are you doing, first of all? Please go and listen to it. And second of all, you will also know how much of a horror abhorrent I am. I'm not a horror movie buff at all, and this uh, Shocktober has really opened my eyes to what the world of horror can do for me. And I would have to say that uh, this, this film is actually a really nice bright point through Shocktober. I mean, we watch things that are considered good trash. We also watch things that are just considered trash trash. But I feel like this movie was actually really good. I I enjoyed it. It had heart. We talk all the time about on the podcast that sometimes we watch some films, but uh, you know, if what's the rewatch value of it? Um, after a while, the jokes can just seem kind of mechanical. They might not be falling into place. But I do feel like, you know, watching this film again that I had a real opportunity to kind of immerse myself more into the world, kind of grow and change with the characters. And I know it doesn't really wrap up with the the happiest of endings, depending upon how you interpret it, because I certainly interpret it that she totally dies. Well, there's two ways. There's right and wrong. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I'm trying to even possibly think of another way to interpret it. Maybe that he's just been hallucinating the whole thing and he's actually in a mental institution. Or that he's actually a ghost. I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, I I have to say that I, and I'm not just saying this because a lot of our our friends who worked on this uh, are in the room. I really enjoyed this movie. And and the, the jumps that were there, I definitely jumped at them because... I am the jumpiest person alive, so um, I would give it five old man rambling about a Ouija board spirituality out of (laughs) 7.5. Was that, did I I accidentally a word in that? (laughs) No, go ahead and do your analysis, though. Oh, okay. Um, And as for my analysis that I'd like to bring today, um, I've noticed that there's this interesting... uh, paradigm kind of uh, trope maybe not the right word but it's definitely a theme that goes throughout all horror movies about um dealing with women in pregnancy uh it's kind of it's very interesting to me that whenever one uh experiences uh a pregnant woman on the screen during a horror movie i I, I would reckon to guess that that person is probably going to die um sadly and it's and it's very sad and it's kind of an interesting commentary on these two kind of opposing forces, because if you have in one one small image, one small package, um, you know the the symbolization of everything that has to do with light and good and and happiness and wonderful, you know, creation and all this, and then you have that whatever dynamic evil force that is probably going to just wreck the whole world. You know, you have this yin and yang, this really you know this kind of god force and then you have like this kind of satan lucifer lucille type force that is going to be you know be opposing that individual and if you're watching a horror movie then unfortunately it's going to be that demonic force that that wins um i always go back to we watched earlier on in our um shocktober this season um the lords of salem which is a rob zombie movie you are missing out 
Yes, you are. It is the trippiest movie you will ever see. Um, well, I'm sh- I'm I'm also um, a horror movie pleb, but um, it is definitely the most unsettling movie we I've seen this Shocktober. Um, and there is some really interesting commentary in that film about um, pregnancy and, you know, kind of, I mean, it has this kind of perversion on that trope where you have, like, pregnancy is great and happy and, you know, kind of kills the darkness, but what if the darkness is inside you? Um, and so there's some really interesting themes that kind of go throughout most horror movies and, um, you know, it, it mostly ends with the the good bringer, the woman carrying this light and life ends up ends up dying and you know it's kind of it's kind of sad but it's kind of where we are excellent thank you very much miss bohan and mr dalton stewart what analysis and a quick review do you bring well well, alex touched on this a little bit uh the humor in this film and and i find a a lot of times when a a horror film has humor and isn't actually striving to be a horror comedy uh there can be a kind of a, a bizarre tonal dissonance where you're like oh now shit's real and no one's laughing anymore but in Tempest, I, I think it really serves the film in a great way because the scares in this film are there, but I feel like more than that are, are these really serious emotional stakes, uh, both for Bill and his wife, um, you know, in regard to his feeling of guilt over uh, the, the death of the student. But again, it, it all comes back to the pregnancy, which they're both feeling. Uh, but what that humor does in this film, and that, that first five minutes of the film is hilarious. It's, it's really well written, written really well uh, acted. Uh, and what it does is bring you into this world and, and really quickly, I mean, because it's a short film, it very quickly uh, builds a relationship between the audience and these characters and makes them invested in these emotional stakes. And I think that's really the lifeblood of this movie because you're, you're sold five minutes in. You're like, I like these two. They're cute. Uh, and, and then terrible things happen. So I think that's wonderful. And, and I think Tempest does a really great job of that. I promise I'm not texting anyone. I have notes that I don't want to forget to say anything. Um, that found footage sequence is so good. So good. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely love it. Um, it, it really is a great way of being a, a carrier of exposition, setting the stakes for what's going to happen later on, and also just being really unsettling uh, and scary. A- and I get a kick out of that for sure. Uh, as far as analysis goes, People talk a lot about genre films not being worth having anything to say. When they do, they're usually talking about science fiction, and, and they'll say, oh, science fiction's so great because it takes uh, you know, these real-world issues and, and it puts them further out and, and blows them up, and we can really look at them in a different way and, and yet closer. I think horror can do that, too, uh, and I think really that's what's great about genre film is you, you take these, these real-world things uh, – and you put them under a different microscope, which really forces you to look at them in a new way. And what Tempest does uh, is it does a really good job. Sorry, here's my notes. Um, it, it externalizes uh, these real-world fears, uh, commitment, uh, pregnancy, your life changing overnight. Uh, and these are all internal fears uh, you know, that you carry in a relationship in your life. And what it does is it brings that extra force uh, into these people's lives and externalizes those fears. Um, I think a lot about what's going on with Bill has to do with his anxiety o- over being a father, and he feels this chance. You know, he talks about how you know I don't know how to connect with these kids, and for him, I, f- I feel like watching the film, being a teacher is a trial run for being a dad. Uh, and if he screws up being a teacher, what kind of a father is he going to be? 
So uh, when when the student comes to him and says, you know, I, I need help, he's like, well, shit, I better not mess this up. And he does his best. And when he he sees his best wasn't good enough or maybe his best was the worst thing that he could have possibly done, it puts him in this tailspin. And again, I think that's really great because it speaks to these real-world fears that I, I think we can all connect to. And it makes us look at them in a different way, and I think it's really valuable. Well, as a parent, I can testify. It's terrifying. It's just I terrifying can only to imagine. be responsible for children. So, yeah, absolutely. I think there's a real anxiety there. Uh, Review-wise, what I would want to say about the movie, um, again, I think it's scripted really, really brilliantly. Uh, we talk, uh, uh, you know, and Adam's uh, performance really is a linchpin uh, that holds everything together in the film. It's just, it's just fantastic. Uh, the the cinematography is really solid. Uh, I really like um, how when we have the, the death revelation scene there in the classroom, the way the camera floats uh, at that point. Uh, and she is, is, is always sort of trying to find Adam again and gives us this sort of, again, this um, otherworldly presence observing sort of sense. And so, uh, there, and of course, we've talked about the coloring. Uh, we've talked, uh, I don't know if I've talked not about the dolly shots and just the way the camera nope. moves uh, up and down hallways. And uh, again, it just gives this idea of um, sort of like what POV uh cinematography does in slasher movies where you're looking from the killer's point of view. Uh, it, it's a POV um, from a point of view of someone we don't know who it is. We don't know what it is. It's just this, this idea of presence. And so I find that to be really, really brilliant. Uh, so uh, I like the movie a lot. So, you know, re review-wise, uh, this movie's great. Uh, just, it's fantastic. So uh, well done. Uh, I'm sorry, Nick. I know you wanted at least one of us to just take a dump on your movie, but it's good. I'm sorry. I don't know what you want from us. And, and so what, I want to talk about review stuff, and I want to talk a little bit about Spielberg uh, to kind of bring it up. Uh, you know, Nick mentioned that he was doing this sort of Twisted Amblin universe for the film, and um, I was uh, thinking about what we could do critically, uh, looking at some critical theorists, and there's a cat called uh, Slavoj Žižek, who I talk about on the show quite a bit. He's the guy I read a lot and uh, in, in my grad studies in film. And uh, Žižek, is, uh, he's a psychoanalytic background. And so uh, one of the big sort of theories in uh, film studies and using psychoanalysis when you're talking about film is the Oedipal complex, uh, how uh, children are fearful of their parents and, uh, you know, the castration complexes and all that sort of stuff. Don't worry, it's not going to get quite that weird. Just stay with me. And um, <clears throat> But there is this thing that happens in Spielberg's films in which uh, there are these obscene fathers, and this is what Zizek writes. There are these obscene fathers who sort of uh, learn better by the end of their films. You know, you can use Alan Grant's character from Jurassic park as an example doesn't like kids they, they say smell right um the, the baby smell and he has an argument with statler uh, about that and then eventually he's um you know forced to take care of these children as they try to na navigate jurassic park and he's eventually holding hands uh with tim and alex uh by the end of the film uh there, there are other and another example that he uses which um uh, zizek's also very political in his approach he talks about schindler's list and uh, the paternalization of the Jewish people uh, in the film. And Oscar Schindler is an obscene father. He's really, he doesn't care about them at all. It's just cheap labor. And uh, he eventually becomes more fatherly toward them and sort of, you know, grows a soul and uh, is able then to take care of them. What's, what's fascinating about Nick's film is um, it is an actual reversal of that um, Spielbergian progression is that we have a man who's a good man who's trying to connect uh, with kids, who, who wants kids, who's excited about being a new parent. Uh, you know, I don't know who would be excited about twins, but um, that's, a, that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> that I, I leaned over to the person sitting next to me when the, the twin reveal was, and I'm going, now it's a horror movie. Uh, <laughs> is what I was thinking, too. 
but there, there's this. Um, he wants to do that. He wants to connect. You know, he's telling Jimmy Dean sausage jokes and and, and whatnot with, with with the young man. And uh, again, just very. But he's, he's he's striving to connect with children, and he's unable to do so. And then, of course, this this terrible uh, tragedy befalls him in the same way that terrible tragedy befalls most of these obscene father characters in a Spielberg film. But rather than becoming a good man from being a bad man, this is a good man turned bad. And you know, he loses his ever loving mind. Uh, you know. Goes after the Ouija board, you know, um, violates trust, uh, you know, breaks promises, fails to do what he what he's actually doing, and, and, and then you know, hacks her to death immediately after uh, the the screen cuts to black because I'm correct. And um, the, the the point though, I think that's interesting about all that is, is Zizek talks about how Spielberg. There's this sort of um, the, the the name of the father is important in, in, as a phrase in psychoanalytic theory. It's this idea of the law and order and respect. And so what these children are getting provided with is now sort of boundaries and rules and, and, and a society set that's kind of bounding them up. And what we have here in, in Nick's film is, is, I think, something quite anarchic and beautiful in which we say, you know, actually the name of the father may not be such a good idea, that maybe we need to think about those rule breakers, those rule givers, those law bringers and, and whatnot, and, and think about maybe, you know, we ought to evaluate evaluate those structures and systems because they may not be trustworthy to start with. So I find your film politically and um, psychoanalytically very interesting. So um, that would be the analysis I would bring. Speaking of obscene fathers, let's talk about that priest using his phone right after the funeral. I know. <laughs> Checking in on Facebook at the cemetery. Just wrecked a last rites. <laughs> Hashtag crushed it. Another day in the life. Uh I'm allowed to make that joke. Anyway, uh, it's a whole other conversation. Uh, but yeah, that's that's what we would bring as far as analysis. What we'd want to say, you know, kind of in, in close, closing of the show, and of course closing of our evening uh, here tonight is you can find the show on iTunes. You can find us on Stitcher Internet Radio. You can find us at our general uh, website, which is a good trash genre cast dot podbean, as in a magic jumping bean dot com. And uh, so we're all there. We'd love for you guys to listen. We have comment sections. Uh, we have a uh, a Twitter account, which is good underscore trash. We have a Facebook account, which is good trash honor cast. Um, just facebook.com forward slash good trash honor cast. We'd love to see all that there. And we're doing a big kind of a ratings push right now to doing iTunes reviews. We're on um, our 95th episode. And so as we get between the week of our 99th and 100th episode, we'd like everyone to um, wait. To, this is the one time a podcast asks you not to write a review. We'd like you to wait to write a review and write us a review sometime in the week uh, between 99 and 100 and that way we can get some more feedback uh, for that and get some exposure and have more of these conversations because what we really believe um, on on the show and the reason why we do this is we, we love what film analysis does you know you explore a film and you talk about what, what society's saying you talk about the anxieties of the culture you can talk about just uh, sort of major um, social upheavals and issues with which people deal and we use cinema as a way of sort of processing all of that and uh, we, we love doing that but we also recognize that it doesn't just have to be Citizen Kane and Casablanca. That there are all the movies are saying something. There's 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 their ideologies. There are philosophies, and uh, there are important conversations to be having. And there's this thing we love, which is the movies. And when we get to go to the movies together, and then leave those movies, and we somehow manage to elevate the conversation just a little bit to say, hey, you know what? There's a little bit more going on than just spending you know 90 minutes, or in this case, 57 minutes eating popcorn. Um, that we can actually have a conversation about how the world's put together, and uh, think about how. We 
we might make a better world together. That's why we do this, and we want this conversation to keep going. Thanks, Nick, for providing some art to make it happen. And so you're pretty awesome. And uh, thank you guys uh, for being here. Thank uh, you so much for coming out, yeah. guys. Absolutely. We really, really, really appreciate it. But that's the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming. Woo!